all. Welcome to the Ground Game Podcast. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel, and today we're going to be talking all about the city of L.A., local journalism, uh, walking around here, and all the fun stuff that Curbs has been covering with uh, Alyssa Walker. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So uh, this has been kind of an exciting week here in L.A. There's always, like, a ton of stuff going on. I wanted to talk, though, jumping back a little bit, uh, back to the beginning of the year, with the takeover of the L.A. Weekly. Uh, And being in local journalism, have you seen a change since, like, the big dog in independent journalism here changed hands? I mean, just what you just said, it's been a big week. And I think as someone pointed out or a few people have pointed out on Twitter, there was a, a pinball story on the cover of the LA Weekly, uh, which shows that uh, maybe priorities have shifted or maybe coverage isn't quite the same uh, based on <laughs> what they used to cover. I used to write for them. I used yeah. to write for them a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's it's in many ways we need the old LA Weekly more than ever right now. With Curbed, are you trying to fill that in, or you're trying to build something new? Because like the LA Weekly is a big set of shoes to try and fill. I mean, I wouldn't say that we're covering all the exact same things as as the LA Weekly. Um, I, it's good to see other outlets like LAist returning um, and KPCC like beefing up what they're covering. Um, I think uh, there's plenty of other room for places, things like podcasts to be a place where people can have discussions. And I try to listen to as many as I can. But when you don't drive somewhere, you can't listen to as many podcasts. I mean, I guess I get on the bus, but it's not as easy to do when biking. Um, yeah. But <laughs> you want a little bit of, a little bit of focus. And I find yeah, myself like to... zoning out on the intercept <laughs> yeah. and being like, oh, I'm going to get listen hit. to podcasts while you're on your bike. Um, but I, I, I do think there's a lot of great ways that uh, a lot of different people are, are trying to fill in a lot of different gaps in local journalism. What we're trying to do, I think, is tell deep stories about neighborhoods and let people know what's going on around them and give people tools for making the city better if they choose to do that. And on that subject, you guys had a a great piece on the number of new developments that are coming to Koreatown, which I found really staggering because nobody had laid it out that way. Uh, What's journalism's voice in that? Are you just informing the people? Are you trying to generate sort of groundswell for movement? Um, What are you trying to do with the energy you're creating there? I mean, we do those maps for every neighborhood. So there's one for downtown. There's one we just updated for Hollywood, um, I think last week or this week so it's it's just kind of the same thing as I mentioned like letting people know what's going on in their neighborhood I don't know how else you would get that information if you were somebody that lived in like Koreatown or you walk by a, a site um, that it doesn't require the city doesn't really require any kind of information or cohesive information um, there's no photos there's often you have to call maybe a number to get information and that won't even give you the information so I think it is part of those giving those tools and kind of going through all the plannery language and documents that not everybody has the time to, to go through and help people understand if it's good, if it's bad, if they like it, if they don't like it, you know, there is still time for some for something to be changed. Um, and then also, I think just letting people know, you know, in, in certain neighborhoods, um, just like what things will look like and how tall they are and how, you know, how many affordable units there are. That's a that's very important pieces of information that sometimes we don't, you know, we're the only ones who have that that are passing that information to the public. So it's it's good to have that information, I think. Do you think that's by design? Like, do you think developers really want to keep? Yes. (laughs) Well, I think it's I think a lot of the way that uh, decisions are made and the way that uh, details like that are communicated to the public all of that needs to change. The way we do every kind of engagement on every level as far as what we are building and for who and where, all, the, all of that needs to change. Like I've advocated for just a, a very simple 
um, signage system that goes on the front of every single development with like a QR code and like a number you can call to get the right information to URL with all the same information. This is this many affordable units. This is the kind of density bonus they got. This is exactly what's happening here. It, you can't really find, I mean, there's people who are angry about a building going up in our, in my neighborhood. And then, um, I did some digging. I was like, oh, guess what? It's for, you know, f- like a, a supportive housing project for families. And everybody was like, oh, okay. But like, you wouldn't know that because it was just some kind of like very generic building going up on the corner, right? We have a, a similar one here where they're building uh, its retirement living and subsidized living for people who can't support themselves and need some medical care. Um, but there's also right around the corner a huge, you know, multi million dollar development that is just like rich condos. But figuring out which one to be angry at is, is weird. And it takes a lot of time. So what what are the skills that you're using to get that information? I mean, we have just great reporters. I personally am not making the maps. We have two reporters who are really good at just going through all the planning documents, calling the developers and and getting them to confirm that sometimes because things change, you know, and and nobody will update that information from their last story or whatever. It goes to council, it goes back, goes to planning commission, you know, all this all these ends, endless changes that happen. Um, so I think, you know, just putting our good reporting, local reporting skills to it. And then we also get a lot of tips from people who will say, you know, I heard something at my neighborhood council or I found something else out uh, and we follow up on those things. So. And what sort of staff size for our listeners are you working with at Curbed? So we have just, uh, I think, just four full-time people in L.A. Um, I am, I'm, I'm here in L.A., but I'm actually on the national team, so I'm one of those people. So uh, we have a great um, editor-in-chief, uh, Jenna Chandler, who has been really instrumental in making Curbed L.A. this a very strong journalism voice. And so as we're seeing, like, kind of uh, this wave of building not stop like even without sb827 there's still more cranes than i've, I've seen in a very long time <laughs> not as much as seattle though seattle has more cranes apparently is it now <laughs> finally because at one point la was the yeah, crane capital Se- seattle is the crane capital we have lost our title yeah <laughs> oh, man. i mean i was doing some good work actually shooting uh editing video of cranes because my buddy shoots them and has a drone and a license in downtown uh, and it was it's kind of a fascinating process but what how quickly do you think a lot of these neighborhoods like Koreatown are going to change? Like how do you think the how how quickly is that fabric going to be altered by these new developments? I mean, to me, I would say Koreatown ha- has already changed. I I'm not sure it could grow more dense or you know, I'm not sure that adding a few more tall buildings is going to dramatically change the the feeling of Koreatown. The issue in Koreatown is actually that there aren't enough public spaces, there aren't enough parks, there aren't enough bike lanes, there aren't wide enough sidewalks. You know, these are bigger infrastructural issues that need to be addressed. Um, With the coming of the Purple Line, as it's going to extend through more of the neighborhood, I went to a a presentation the other day at the Hammer Museum where Tom Main, a really big architect, uh, local architect, made a presentation for housing one million more people only along Wilshire Boulevard, which was ki- is kind of a brilliant idea because it's one of those places where we already have so much density and kind of like distributed everywhere from like Westwood, you know, to downtown, to Koreatown. Um, and it was just like, yeah, like here's some spaces to add some more tall buildings where it won't really disrupt what people consider to be the, the fabric of their neighborhood. And that kind of leads me directly into my next question, which as we get this more dense development, we're trying to move away from cars as a city. I know like SB8 27, uh, one of its main ideas was we get people next to ter- transit and they'll they'll use that transit. We haven't really seen that equation working out. What do you think the city is not doing right to make that happen? 
Well, I think if you look at what's passed in the last two weeks with the Expo plan, this was a, a plan to just help create a little bit more density where none none, none really was at all in certain cases around um, five Expo line stops on the west side of the city. So it would be like from Culver City to where Santa Monica starts, basically. Um, and I think they could have added some more density to it. There are certainly some neighborhoods with a lot of single-family homes where there were no changes whatsoever, um, which are really the neighborhoods that we have to start changing because uh, it, you have places where people are relatively, I'm not saying everyone, but most people are affluent enough to be able to have a choice if they would like to leave their neighborhood if they don't like what's going to happen or they could sell their house and you know, turn into a fourplex or a fiveplex or something like that. That those changes aren't really happening in the city. There, there's one tiny little section of the plan where they're going to take single-family homes and allow people to build like townhouses instead. But I think to, to your greater point, what the the plan has in place and why a lot of the groups that were against SB 827 uh, were for this plan is because it really makes a lot of allocations for keeping people in place. Like it kind of cuts around all the rent-stabilized buildings, and it also adds a lot of oh, Excuse me, I got excited. <laughs> it, it also adds a lot of affordable housing. Um, I wouldn't say requirements, but it suggestions and uh, ways to make sure that we're capturing a lot of those affordable units uh, when they're building, building larger buildings. And it's really go- only going to be on like mixed use properties too, which will be great because you at least get add some more services to the neighborhood. Yeah, and, and that's actually most of that is my neighborhood. I live oh, right great. up there, so I walk to the the Rancho Park stop. Nice. Either that or the Palms, depending on if I want like the nice scenic walk right. or the more like quick walk. Well, that's one thing they're improving too. Is yeah. They're improving all the streetscapes along like to get to all those um, stations because that that is a big thing. Like if you don't have shade, you might not want to walk, or if you don't feel safe, you might not bike. So th- that's important too. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to you because my neighborhood is. I'm on the hill up national. So it's it's all apartment buildings there. And then you get a very hard stop when it turns into Westwood. And it's all just single family homes, which are nice. But I see what they're doing with the mall and trying to put more density there because it's walking distance to the train stop. Uh, but it's it's also uh, the bike infrastructure there is weird, too. The bike lane that follows Expo is not super user friendly. The walking options aren't that great. So we're seeing that push uh, over on the west side, which is already like pretty affluent and pretty like nice as it is. What about for like that Wilshire Boulevard corridor? Do you think that they're going to be able to bring in more walkability without like huge disruption? I mean, I I can't even imagine why the city wouldn't have their top priority to be in any way that we can. Let's get people to get out of their cars at least or try, you know, um, for very many reasons. Um, the latest information uh, from the, like the National like Census Bureau that that tracks transportation said that a third of all trips uh, in vehicles are two miles or less in this country. So that just speaks, and I'm sure that's about right for LA. I don't, you know, I'm not saying we're on like on one end. I'm sure that's exactly right for LA. You know, people that are like this, I've been guilty of it, you know, because you just feel like there are barriers that are stopping you from walking or biking. So, you know, one thing on Wilshire, which, which is a good change that's happening, but maybe not fast enough, is the fact that the bus lane is dedicated down a large portion of it. So at least the bus gets some priority, although who knows how much it's actually helping, you know, when there's still a lot of uh, uh, turns that are being made and car, you know, anyway. So, um, but I think like, yes, especially with the purple line coming um, and adding this like very 
great potential for really getting this whole big section of the city um, to be able to move around because a lot more lines will be finished by the time that line is finished. So it's not just like you'll be able to get downtown. You'll be able to get to a bunch of other places. I can't imagine why there isn't uh, the, the only priority of the city isn't adding more walking and biking or scooting or whatever kind of atmosphere you want. <laughs> Do you think some of that feeds into or, or is fed by sort of the NIMBY reaction? I'm thinking of the road diet in Mar Vista. Did this turn into such... I mean, it, it wasn't a great plan, but I'm happy to see it. But it seems like that's become a real flashpoint and even got like a recall bonding petition going oh, at one God. point. Oh, God. I mean, and now I think a lot of the elected leaders, even ones that are probably very into walking and biking improvements, are scared by that. They've, they've really... Uh, rattled a lot of the even safety um, advocates because at the same time uh, this letter very threatening anonymous letter went out to a bunch oh, of people I didn't hear about oh that. my god like this like that was basically saying like um, you know we'll run you over and like so yeah oh yeah it was super super scary um, so I think there's a lot of fear But at the same time, there's a lot of really high profile uh, fatalities have occurred in the last uh, few months on our streets. And there is such a groundswell of people who are very angry and fed up. Um, But then you read, you know, something that I was reading uh, um, coverage in in Streets blog about uh, this very tragic death of um, a guy in in South L.A. Oh, the uh, the writer? Yeah, 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 Woon. And this Justice for Woon, this this movement, you know, killed by an SUV, which is another whole thing to discuss. Um, uh, and the, the driver uh, painted her car so they couldn't find her. And then they found her. And they, we still don't know if charges are being um, pressed. And the safety improvements being proposed for that street have kind of been watered down and walked back, maybe because the council district or I don't know, I don't know who exactly, but like people are, are scared that if you take away space for drivers that... Um, you're going to get recalled or something like that. Right? And, and like, South L.A. is really uniquely kind of bad for riding a bike in the city because, like, hey, there's a lot of people who ride bikes there, but all of the road infrastructure is made for many freeways. It's, it's oh, yeah. you know, once you get south of USC, it's not super friendly to ride your bike there. Big open lights. Uh, and, and it feels like there hasn't been a focus there. Like, we get a lot of focus around downtown, and South L.A. is getting kind of neglected. I was wondering, do you think that's going to keep happening? Because it seems gentrification is pushing south. Well, it needs – well, that, that's the other, like, tragic thing is a lot of people in neighborhoods that have never had this kind of infrastructure. So there are so many neighborhoods you can go to in South L.A. and other places that don't have any street trees at all, that don't have sidewalks. You know, th- this was just – it was never even built in the first place, right? And um, – you would hope that you would or you would think that, you know, people would really welcome these kind of changes to come to their neighborhood. But then because we lack these very basic amenities in our city, um, people see things like bike lanes and beautiful new sidewalks and trees and parks as being part of this like gentrification machine like you're talking about and are wary of them. So it really does leave it up to the leader, you know, the, the either your, your city council leader, whoever is, is proposing these changes, um, framing them in a, in a way of saving lives, helping families get to school, like helping seniors get around a huge issue, especially in this heat, you know, that we're about to experience on um, this big heat wave. A lot of people can't physically move around their city. Um, um, in in for all sorts of reasons, and especially when it's hot out. So we need better ways 
to solve those problems for people. Um, and we need leaders who are going to stand up and say, this is what we have to do and we're doing it. Yeah, the, the geographic history of L.A., especially when it comes to trees, is fascinating. I worked on this documentary that had uh, Medusa, um, an old uh, hip-hop uh, star from uh, South Central, and she was talking about how when she grew up down there, there were trees. And then when things got bad in the 80s, LAPD was like, well, we can't see houses through the trees. So they took out all the trees in neighborhoods that they... And so now that the trees are coming back, they're not coming back because the neighborhood wants it. They're coming back because rich people want to move in. They're like, oh, we should have trees. So it's like a weird tension where it's like, we should just be able to have that. Um, But I wanted to kind of transition back to, to Curbed on this NIMBY thing a little bit. What's it like trying to do this kind of local coverage in such a motivated city like L.A., where we have, like, people, like, small groups of people, like the Sequa crowd, that get really up in arms about stuff. And, like, Measure S was, like, a whole, you know, activation of people who were were very angry about seemingly small issues. I like but, how you call them motiv- motivated yeah. people. That's <laughs> it's it's well, a weird I th- one. Yeah, I, I think what you could say is it's people with a lot of money um, and often people who have the ability to uh, devote a lot of their time to this. Um, uh, and maybe not every city has maybe that ratio. I don't know how to study that many. But for me, it always comes down to you You kind of look back at these movements that make a lot of noise on social media or putting up billboards all over the city, for example, and you kind of trace the money back to where it's coming from. And it's usually like one or two people who just have a lot of money who have made themselves seem very loud and ubiquitous and you know um and so that kind of sorting through all the can i say bullshit on this podcast sorting (laughs) sorting through all of that and trying to find out who's being funded and um and where that money's coming from and what are the motivations behind it i think that's that's a big part of what we try to do and let people know i mean i think with measure s it was a good example of a lot of misinformation um, and whether whatever you agreed with on either side of it, um, just the way that, that the campaign played out, I think a lot of people felt like they couldn't trust it based on the, the you know the fact that there was no facts in, yeah. <laughs> in, some, in some aspects of that. <laughs> it was definitely, it was interesting because we're working with AHF on the, the repeal of Costa Hawkins, and they're a completely different org this time around. They got much more professional people who know how to run this stuff, um, and Michael Weinstein seems to have like learned his lesson. Like, they seem like their heart's in the right place, but that was such a weird political story to watch, and I was wondering if you, like, what your thoughts on that were, whether we're going to see that sort of thing again in LA. I mean, I'm so glad if they can put all their money behind repealing that, that would be great. Um, I think uh, making sure that uh, that intentions are clear, I think, which was which was one of the confusing parts about Measure S for a lot of people um, is important. And I think they've been very clear about uh, this particular measure. And I'm, I'm so excited that this is going to be on the ballot. It's confirmed, right? It's all set. That's yeah, gonna be it's, on the ballot. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Prop 10. So yeah, okay, Prop 10. Now we got to yeah. all remember uh, 10. But um, I think like, I think you'll see, you'll see a lot more people who they just, especially in our larger political climate of the you know whole, whole country, the the mess we're in. Although Scott Pruitt did resign today, so that was good news. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll give back the tactical pants. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I do think there's a lot of mistrust in general um, from all sides, and that's why we need local media to kind of stand up and and be this, this voice for. Hopefully, truth. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been interesting with the the K Town shelter fight as we've been trying to trace some of that money, and it, it really does turn into a black box very quickly. Oh, 
Um, and it's it's kind of strange because I feel like we have a super powerful city hall and then a super kind of alienated um, population. What do you want to see the local media doing more of to try and get people more connected? God, that, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? That's the one thing because people always complain that they don't know enough about what's going on in their neighborhood. They don't know how to get involved. The meetings are at night or they're at city council. You know, it's it's the same. It's it's probably the same in every you know city, but but I think in LA, the a lot of those concerns are amplified in many ways. I mean, I think people are, it's harder to move around the city. So how could you get to a meeting at certain parts of time, things like that at at certain times? Um, I think with the, with the outreach thing, the argument, for example, the Koreatown shelter that you're, you're giving, and he did propose a second site, you know, basically his office, Wesson, Wesson, which he he then tried to back away from. Right. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know exactly like what it's going to, to land or how many sites we need to be investigated or whatever, but there comes a point with this, with bike lanes, with whatever, where somebody just has to say, this is what we're doing. And you know, we can we can decide where or who or whatever. I don't know. We we need to work out the details, but um, I think there there needs to be there needs to be a set of goals in place. And if our goal is to try to house this many people in a certain place or in a certain time, or because the neighborhood has the most homeless residents according to the you know the latest count, um, there there has to be a way to to help people understand that this is part of the goal that the community leader or the mayor or whoever has has set up and I, I feel like those goals aren't very well articulated like we have we don't have any new information on like how many miles of bike lanes are supposed to be laid by the end of this year it's kind of like we, they want to house 200 what was it 222 222 supportive housing yeah. units per council by like in like five years I'm like that's ridiculously low and not enough and it doesn't even start to chip away at the problem you know these things have to go somewhere and we have to make them happen as soon as possible and everybody needs to to figure out you know how that's going to work yeah it's that's a weird one too because like uh everyone in has been doing the nice little counter where it tells Mm -hmm. you how many of those units have like been funded and approved and there's some of the council members who are just sitting on those letters because I didn't realize that but like you give a letter to city council saying we'd like funding for this sort of thing and then they can just forget about it and your project goes nowhere yeah yeah and uh Marquise Harris Dawson has been using that I find with all of our city council members uh people like they're both good and bad it's a very (laughs) strange thing because they're so powerful like like every single one of them I have things that I'm like oh yeah totally do that but please don't do that other thing <laughs> what do you think we Isn't can that political that's what political leaders are about right yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean with them i feel like it's more pronounced like bonnie right. getting arrested with us um i was talking to adam rice today because we broadcast on rgla and yeah. he was like yeah i can't believe that he was all about the car ban and this that and the other thing yeah. and now he's our friend and i was like yeah no permanent allies no permanent enemies that's that's our ethos um but what do you think is to be done about la city council um how can we pressure people that powerful? Because that's something we keep coming up against. They have constituencies the size of uh, congressional offices. They have staffs that are highly paid. They have really big budgets. Um, and, you know, for us, like our big victory running against Mitch was we kept him under 60 percent. Like that was our goal. So yeah. we did that. Yeah. I mean, more women on council might just solve all the problems, I think, <laughs> is my short answer to that. <laughs> I mean, we only have two women uh, right now. Um, we've never had a, a female mayor. Um, there's a, a, a lot of uh, white males who are in many leadership positions, even though there's a lot of 
diversity in our city and in, in, in local government, but I'd just like to see more women in general. I think you might see a lot of that change because women understand maybe a few more elements to a lot of these issues that, uh, you know, a, a city is designed for men. Our city is not desi- designed for women. It's very clear. You know, this our city is not designed for families, not designed mm-hmm. for children, you know. So we want it to be an all ages and abilities city, and that includes access, and that includes information about what's going on. I, I was hoping you could expand on that a little bit more. Like, what would major parts of our city look like? How would it look different if downtown was accessible? Well, oh, God. <laughs> There'd be no freeways uh, <laughs> encircling it. I mean, there's there's some very good ideas for how to um, connect the city with more green space. Um, there's some very ancient plans that were actually like really, really good proposed before the city really grew, started to grow around the automobile. But um Things like you could just it's it's a very small it's very small changes that would just really add up into um, bigger changes. But things like when you are crossing the street that you actually can't make it across in time if you are not an able bodied person. So I have a three year old with me, a three year old and a nine month old most of the time. um, And we can barely make it across, you know, just streets in our own neighborhood. You know, I live, you know, near Temple, which is one of the most dangerous um, streets in the city. Um, There was a a 15-year-old hit on a bike on Silver Lake Boulevard uh, the other day because there's, the bike lane basically ends on Silver Lake Boulevard and then, like, where are you supposed to go? If you don't know where to go, you're just stuck in traffic. Um, So it's little tiny changes that could be made to every single intersection, which would really add up to this big difference, these big differences. And that, I do believe that, like, focusing on those um, types of small changes will make a difference because for something like walking to school, a lot of parents don't walk their kids to school because they perceive it to be too dangerous. Like I've heard parents actually saying this um, and then they create more dangerous car traffic by taking their kids to school in a car. And it's just this cycle of everything. You know, you could perpetuate you. This is perpetuating itself in all different ways through our city. Um, but if we could get like everybody to walk to school or maybe to know where their local school is and support that local school. And that became like a place where you could go play every day with your kids and you really got to know the neighborhood and people weren't trying to drive across town to get their kids into a private school because they didn't feel that school was good enough. You know, th- this is some really thorny issues that we're, you know, d- trying to talk about. And it, it does kind of come to, like, wh- what are your neighborhood, like, centers and how do you get there? Yeah, and it seems like this is more prescient than ever because as uh, Gar- as uh, Mayor Garcetti is moving towards, like, his bid for the 2028 games, he's proposing a lot of big infrastructure plans. And some of them are pretty good. And I was wondering if you could talk about the ones of those that you like. Yeah, I mean, the Olympics is, we're doing a series on Curb right now, kind of looking back at 84 and um, some of the lessons, some of the good things, some of the bad things, things that we can maybe apply or not apply as we move forward. And I think uh, the like 10 year, 10 year, I don't know what you call it, like it'll be 10 years exactly to the games, like at the end of July. So if you think about it, we've got 10, you know, we've got 10 years um, to to look at this. Um, I think one great thing that they're doing is 28 by 28, which is 28 major infrastructure projects, things like rail lines. And um, I I can't think of anything else on the top of my head. Like it's mostly like big rail projects, things like that. I can't think of any other specifics, but it's big infrastructure um, things that are all going to be done in time for the Olympics. That's great. I mean, it's similar to... 
Um, some things they did in 84, they had, uh, they double decked LAX, for example, um, and, you know, for arrivals. Now we, oh, we know that doesn't work anymore. So we're, so we're adding this people mover and, you know, getting it to connect to the Crenshaw line. So that's a, an example of something that's all going to be done in time for the Olympics. Um, so it's kind of funny that we looked back and, you know, we were like, ah, oh, that wasn't so good. Um, and then well, one- I, I still remember <laughs> when I think it was, uh, Mayor Hahn was wanting to do the, like, billion dollar renovation back in, like, 2001, oh God, yeah. they got right up to the deadline, and then they're like, nope, we can't close it, not yeah. going to fix anything. And I was just like, for six months, you're like, we're going to close LAX, we're going to fix everything, it'll be great. And then it's like, no, we're not going to do nah, any of that. Never mind, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do something else. <laughs> um, so I, th- I think that's like a good example of um, maybe some of these bigger things are good. I I What I wanted to see as part of that is, you know, I wrote a story about the this kind of kind of an urban legend in the city of LA that like all the traffic disappeared during the 84 Olympics because everybody left which was actually not true it was just they got people to commute at different times of day and they had people flex their hours if they could and it was all that part was all voluntary nobody was getting forced into doing it it was just like hey pitch in if you can like let's make this work they made this like uh, micro transit system out of buses that you know served you know million plus people at people getting the games and everybody said there was no traffic so it's kind of like, let's look at those tiny little things, and we have 10 years now. Let's start to talk about some of these solutions and how we can start rolling those out slowly. Like, maybe everybody could take, you know, work from home if you're able to one day a week and that you just, your employer starts to do that. And it's not just for, you know, the Olympics, which it's it's good if it's a motivator for like good things to happen we we also have stories on we have a story coming up on how the city tried to sanitize its image and make it you know look a different way, way possibly than than how it was on the streets and on the in the city when you were here at the time um but let's take some of those little things that worked really well and start just deploying them as part of you know climate plans or street safety plans or you know something and yes you can use that as a goal you know 10 years is a goal but um I'd like to see more of those little changes, too. That's one of the things that I I am kind of hung up on with this is I I like a lot of what's being proposed and a lot of the the more efficient designs they want to bring to the city and the the kind of big changes they want to do. I just wish we didn't have to wait for the games to have that happen, because like even like even if the games like even if we never got that bid, we're still going to keep growing. Right, right, right. Um, And so what. What do you think is successful for, like, us as activist organizers, people in the media, to kind of keep that pressure on? Like, even if the games, like, if the Olympics stop being a thing tomorrow, I still want those 28 trains. Well, the the thing that uh, we were all talking about the other day, a group of, like, L.A. people were like, what if there's a big earthquake between now and 28? Which, as we know, there's a very good chance that we are going to have a big earthquake. Well, I think they raise it to, like, 94 every year maybe it gets up or yeah. higher or something, but it's, like, 94% chance that we're going to have an earthquake as big as the Northridge earthquake in the next 30 years. So that's that's pretty good chances, I would say, that we're going to have at least a relatively large earthquake. So for me, it's, it's, it is putting all those kind of goals, reframing them as from climate or social justice or whatever, however you want to, to make them. Because for something like an earthquake, for example, um, that is about like water independence, you know, local water sources. And that is about like solar grids that are, you know, not connected to these, you know, giant, however, whatever they're powered by now plants, you know, it is it is all about those things. And maybe those should be part of the Olympics, you know, talking about the 28 for 28. Like they they have talked a little bit about um, this idea of like 
uh, a zero emission um, fleet in the city of L.A. and working on, especially like at the port, they're working on a lot of um, initiatives to make it zero emissions, um, which the port is, you know, a huge polluter, a huge energy user. They're, they're doing a lot of great stuff down there. So, yeah, let's make infrastructure like our water and power uh, part of, you know, what we what we want to achieve by 2028. We can do it. We yeah. can totally do it. No, with the you know, if we can put a scooter on every corner, I, I'm sure we can put <laughs> solar panels around. Isn't that going to be somebody's oh like? Uh, that's going to be somebody's like tagline at their next uh, election. Yeah, no, those things. Scooters have on in, every corner. <laughs> they have those have invaded my neighborhood really, really hardcore. Um, but actually, this is this is something I wanted to ask you about. Um, Metro wants to lock out other dockless services from downtown. Do you think that's a good move? Because I'm not necessarily opposed to a more centralized planning to this sort of development. So I feel like that's the big problem with L.A. is they're like, developers have at it. Be as racist as you want to be with these housing covenants. And, you know, we need to have a little bit firmer hand. I'm not exactly sure, like, if that's the right one, though. I think it was uh, the the Department of Transportation, you know, not Metro specifically, but they're the reasoning they gave for that, which I can kind of understand why this is a good point, is that uh, downtown has a lot of options already. Let's try to see if we can push these um, companies to deploy in areas that have like little to no micromobility access or no bike share, um, maybe not have as good bus connections or something like that. So it actually would be more of a tool to get around. Whether or not that's actually what's going to happen, it, it, it's it's difficult to say because yeah. you you can look in some cities where a lot of these places have deployed and they're 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 giving some information, but we don't really have the full data story. The only place we really do have something like that is Seattle, where they have launched the pilots specifically with the uh, requirement that you have to share your data. They're kind of like the official bike sharing and scooter sharing pilot projects of the city. Um, so part of that would have to be like really giving us data on like, how are you making sure that like people who don't have credit cards could ride if they wanted to? Like, how are you making sure that people have safe places to ride? You know, are, are you going to follow this up with, you know, putting that bike lane down that you said you were going to put down in that neighborhood? So I think maybe, it, you know, if it is, if it could help bring a lot of those improvements and a- access to neighborhoods that have nothing right now. And we're talking, you know, there's some neighborhoods like in the Valley, for example, that have, you know, no, probably no safety infrastructure for biking. Um, they're not going to get Metro bike anytime soon. The orange line's not coming too close to them and the bus might be like a 30 minute headway. So maybe that's a good place, you know, for this to start. And um, and then, yeah, eventually you can, you can ride them anywhere. I mean, I see them, <laughs> you, can, you can ride them far. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's a curious one. Uh, I was at my, when I was at my cousin's wedding just randomly, she works uh, surveying tortoises out in the desert. Uh, but the guy who runs her program is like every government re- regulation creates an industry. So the idea that like Metro is creating sort of a geofence and forcing people to go start markets in new places is a really interesting one. Don't know if I buy it necessarily because most of those companies want to wait to like know that they'll make money rather than taking totally. a, a yeah, chance. Totally, yeah, of course. Uh, but it's, that that is an interesting level of thinking. Um, as we kind of head into the end here, I wanted to ask you, uh, politics obviously right now is going to get like super exciting. We got 2018 coming up and then 2020. What are you hoping to see from California? Like, what do you want California's kind of like next couple of political cycles to like say to the rest of the nation? Oh my God. Well, we have something interesting coming up on the ballot um, along with a lot of other big housing issues, it, which is the this repeal of the gas tax, um, which is another very complicated issue. I mean, um, I, 
if you're familiar with the gas tax, it's literally a tax on your gasoline. Um, and it funds so many improvements. Like if you look at the list of improvements it's making um, in a city like LA, you know, anywhere um, in the state, uh, this is a lot of money that is basically going from, you know, drivers. What I'm not, how do you say pocketbooks? It doesn't even yeah. make any sense anymore. They're, <laughs> they're Apple Pay accounts. I don't know. Um, and they're and going like to improve the street, um, the, the streetscape right in front of them. So things like bike lanes and uh, all other kind of tra- transportation uh, things are which are being paid for this. So people want to repeal it because there's very many reasons why people want to repeal it. But I think there's also a concern that high gas prices are penalizing people who have to get around by car, who can't afford to trade their car for an electric vehicle. So this has become a very complicated issue for people because you want to make sure that people have access to opportunities and can get around and aren't spending more money because they're already spending, what, like 90% of their uh, <laughs> salary on rent. Um, so we've got we've got like a real thorny issue. But again, it's this conversation that we're talking about, about people trying to control the narrative and spin it in this negative way. Um, and there was that story in the New York Times the other day about how the Koch brothers are like going into cities and paying um, to fight these transit initiatives. They help the top the one in um, Nashville, um, and I think they affected one in Phoenix. There's just been constant yeah. ones that are, you know, it just keeps coming up. And they, um, they fund an entire school out at ASU, which is like called the Freedom Economics Institute. Oh it's, it's, yeah, oh it's, it's the, they've produced a couple of like New York Times editorial board level people, but it's very, uh, very much like the Claremont Institute out here, very well funded. And yeah. I, I worked for Brave New Films for a bit doing their documentaries, and the Cokes were very strategic on that spending yeah. on local initiatives. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is going to be a big – also, maybe the Three Californias proposition is a part of that, too. You know, it's just kind of trying to spin uh, – spin – a solution, maybe that's not really a solution for you know some of these problems. Um, so I hope we can continue to lead on climate. I hope we can figure out this really devastating housing challenge, um, which can hopefully be approached by many different ways um, with some upcoming um, ballot measures. Um, and maybe not, maybe not everything with ballot measures too. I think the other thing is hopefully we have a really strong leader. I think Jerry Brown's been a very strong, one of those leaders that I was kind of talking about before where we know the goals and he's very persistent about this is getting us to that goal and this is how we do this and we're going to figure it out. You know, he dissolved, you know, the community redevelopment, you know, associations uh, or agencies, community redevelopment agencies years ago. And it was very unpopular. And a lot of people have pointed to that as being, uh, maybe causing some of the problems when it comes to housing and community development in in cities, but he was very steadfast about how he wanted that money to be redirected to other places. So you just have to hopefully have a strong leader coupled with um, some very clear goals. Hopefully climate is the biggest one. Transportation is the biggest one. Housing is the biggest one. Um, And hopefully we can still serve as a a model for uh, for other places. it was, uh, I think, it was the LA Times today that was covering the soda tax uh, fallout, and that, and that sounded. I mean, that's an evil genius level plan by the soda companies, but it's also kind of one of the weaknesses that I think we're beginning to confront in California as we're playing on the world stage, but still hobbled by trying to treat ourselves as a small, like, small town state, even because most of the population lives in massive big cities on either end, and then the rest of it's distributed evenly out. Those the tensions are are real. You know what works for us here in LA is not going to work when you're you know 30 miles north of Lancaster. And 
we ha- we've had a bad time negotiating the two of those. I think that breaking up the state into three is just a terrible no, idea. I was, I was well, so you're in, so you want three no, Californians. No, there was a there was a good plan on Chapo to break it up into into seven from yeah. uh, a political scientist from U Chicago. That, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. pretty good. It is for a thought experiment. It was good, but it also points to you know I get yelled at by my friends because I voted for Jill Stein, and then I have to be like the the electoral college means that my vote didn't matter, right, no matter right, how right. hard I voted. Uh, and how hard I voted. I like that. <laughs> yeah, California keeps finding itself on the wrong end, even though we should be a bigger stick. And I feel like these local issues uh, are beginning to catalyze people here and get people to pay more attention because I think things have to go from the bottom up. We found out in 2016 top down doesn't work very much. Uh, so I wanted to say thank you for like helping lead that charge in local journalism. Uh, what can we look forward to do with Curbed? And anything else you want to you want to rep? Sure. I mean, we've got more installments of uh, more installments of our Olympic series coming out. We just launched um, the Beginner's Guide to LA, which is kind of like to help people uh, orient themselves or familiarize themselves with different parts of the city because we feel like it's very hard or all 88 cities in the county because it's a hard (laughs) place to get to know. Um, And a lot of that is about like housing costs and how, you know, describing how how comes maybe some hate to say this word, but like hacks for how yeah. to you know uh, live affordably and uh, have a better life and contribute. Like I said, if you want to uh, you know improve the city where you live, so check both those out. And uh, we're we're excited to be here. Thanks for you know reading us, and you know we're excited to be part of this new exciting world in LA um, where we're all changing the way that maybe journalism is delivered and written and shared and uh, hopefully in a responsible and entertaining way. I'm expecting big things from the uh, El Segundo Times. We didn't even get into that. We didn't even. Yeah. We didn't even. No, that's a, that. yeah. yeah, that's a whole different conversation. I had Jeff Weiss on at one point, and like, it's uh, yeah, everyone's a little bit uh, put out, and and kind of understandably so. But it's we're such a big media market with such a poorly managed local media scene. It seems. Well, I did hear. I mean, the LA Times. I have I have high hopes. I think you know I have a lot of friends that work there. I think it's it's they're all really great journalists. That's not going to change. They are going to have a little bureau for them in downtown, which I could imagine them all like trying to cram into that. <laughs> little like a we work or something where they're all trying to hang out so um i think they're listening um uh, the leadership's listening and i don't think it's going to hurt their journalism i would like for them to uh hire an architecture critic though because you know chris father and left and went to work for the city and um that person is a very important person to be like one of those voices like you said telling people about development and how it's going to change their we lives we can't let so. another peterson happen I know. Just <laughs> though i do have this idea that they keep doing that just so i have something to talk about of course like, I don't move yeah. away i'm like i'm going to complain about that building it's an instagram thing too i mean that's how we get people to go places now so <laughs> uh, well thank you very much Alyssa. thank you and now for